level, perhaps. So good morning. All right. Therefore, I, prisoner of the Lord, love how Paul speaks. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So we're starting back up. Well, actually, we're still here. <laughs> In the next few weeks, I hope to be finishing up this uh, overview of Scripture that I've been trying to go through called The Story, uh, using the, the book The Story as an outline. We're also uh, going to be having communion today, hence the beautiful dishes up here. Something that's very important uh, about taking communion is making sure that you're ready to take communion, right? Making sure that you are understanding what we're remembering and understanding communion, community, communion, right? We are in relationship with God. This is viewed as a sacrament. Some churches say they view it as a sign, a sign of the things that Christ has done for you, a remembrance. I think all of those are true. So um, please don't go into communion lightly. Um, but I brought that up last week as well. I just wanted to start that off before I dive into where I'm at with uh, Paul here writing to the Ephesians. <clears throat> and... I actually have a great deal more notes than I usually have for a chapter of Scripture. I'm only really speaking out of this one chapter this morning for the bulk of it, which is Ephesians 4. And if you look at the index of the story, there's actually just, <laughs> there's a lot there. Um, and I've just decided to focus in on Ephesians 4. So I'm at Ephesians 4. I'm going to repeat verse 1. I, therefore... The prisoner of the Lord. Now, Paul is, of course, writing this under house arrest in Rome. They figure around, so circa 62 AD-ish. And Christ is thought to have been uh, thought to have been crucified, my goodness, in 33 AD. So if that gives you any, any clue onto the time period here. So this is after the crucifixion of Christ by, what, 29 years? I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in that one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all. And in you all. <laughs> That's quite an opening, isn't it? When Paul is sitting in prison, he is urging us to remain united. He's urging the church to remain united in what they have in common. That there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. I'm sure there are other things he could have been worrying about, other things he could have been working on. Or, but that was his biggest concern with the church at Ephesus was, 
How are you guys getting along? Are you being patient and long-suffering with one another? Are you bearing with one another in love? We have a very clever saying, and I'm not sure how much I believe it's possible. Oh, I love them. I just don't like them. Maybe. I think the jury's out on whether that's a possibility. <laughs> I love them. I just don't like them. Really? Seems off. Seems off. Even if that's possible, I think that idea is used way too much. You're probably disguising the fact that you don't actually love that person. I'm sure there's cases where it's true that you don't enjoy someone's company or you're upset with them. So on a very superficial level, maybe you don't like them. You don't like spending time with them. They drag you down. They create problems in your life. And that way, yes, you can not like what someone is doing to you and still love them. But to say, I don't like them, but I love them seems very strange. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm only about halfway done, so I've got a lot of wisdom to acquire still. And of course, I'm estimating. We don't get to know when we're done. But, but to each one of us, grace was giving according to the measure of Christ's gift. <clears throat> Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower, lowest, lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. There are many teachings about what this section of scripture means, but we can agree, and I'm going to keep it to the very surface of what is agreed upon, is that Christ died for us, and he was dead and he was buried, and he was in the ground. I know there's a greater argument about whether Christ spent three days in hell or not, and I don't want to engage in that conversation, but trust me, Christ paid the price for us. That is what is important to focus upon. There is nothing more that Christ could have paid for us. I am a firm believer in that principle. So to have any arguments on the finer points of that, I think is almost repetitive. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Regardless of whether you believe that the modern office of prophet or apostle exists. You can still see in this scripture that Christ gave us all different positions. I personally love the APES model, the uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Some people say fivefold. It really depends on how you, how you define uh, prophet, whether or not I'm going to squawk. But it's clear and Paul makes it clear that each person was given a gift. They have an area to operate within. Some he called to be evangelists. You know some evangelists. I'm sure you do. Evangelists have a hard time not talking about God. They can't help it. They just can't help it. If you start off on a conversation about milk, they're probably going to tell you about Jesus. 
if you don't know them and you're in a grocery store and you're like, oh, can you believe today? That's the only opening they need. That is it. Am I wrong? We all know some evangelists. There's people that I consider to be prophets who are constantly speaking the word of God. The truth of God. They're very concerned with us following the the prescribed order that God put out. The commandments of God. I almost said the laws of God, but the commandments of God, the laws of God. They're very concerned with us operating as we should. Pastors and teachers are held to a higher standard. I know that from scripture. That's why I get nervous sometimes when I'm rambling. I believe that in order for us to function properly as a church, we have to be able to recognize the gifts in one another and to see where we can function and support each other. And I believe, honestly, the entire idea of tracks, those religious tracks that I love so much, are for those of us who aren't very good at evangelism. Because an evangelist will see that and be like, what's this for? For the rest of us that aren't gifted in evangelism, that helps us to evangelize because an evangelist wrote a pamphlet that we can be like, here, look at this. And you can, I could be wrong on that, but that's how I've, I view those. Is the, the, that's like training wheels for those of us that aren't evangelists. I think you can learn how to operate as an evangelist when you're not one. But there are clearly people that are evangelists. There are clearly people that are teachers. And unfortunately, I'll admit to you, it isn't always the smartest of us that are teachers. We just have something about us where we really love to teach. We love to pass information. We want to know and we want you to know. Shepherds or pastors. That is a, an odd position to put yourself in. And I would highly encourage, if you feel that maybe you should be a pastor one day, particularly the, the younger guys, maybe some of the older guys too, but if you feel like God is calling you to be a pastor, I would highly encourage you to pursue that. I would also warn you that it's very different than you think it's going to be. It's funny that I'm in two jobs that are very similar. I'm a Christian school teacher, which means I talk about Jesus all day long. And then on the weekends, I tend to talk about Jesus all day long. It's a great existence. But at the same time, there's, there's these little funny things that people say, you know, pastors work one day a week, right? Teachers get three months off in the summer, which is... If any of you teach, you know how true that statement is. Because, <laughs> you know, school year just falls out of the sky. There's no planning involved at all. That was sarcasm, by the way. I'll try to reel that back in. Anyway. The important thing to remember, though, is that God has given us giftings. All of us have different giftings. All of us have different things we excel at. And it doesn't necessarily overlap. If someone is a good businessman, it doesn't necessarily mean that they will be a good church elder. It actually may be an indication that they'll be a poor church elder, depending on how they got so good at business. There could be overlap. There could not be. It's hard to know. 
Just because someone loves children doesn't mean they necessarily would make a good Sunday school teacher. Although that's a great place to start. I think all of us have met a Sunday school teacher that really didn't want to be doing it, but didn't know how to say no. They get to be pretty evident. I hear stories of, uh, and this will hopefully be the last bunny I chase for a second. Uh, I hear a lot of stories about people that went to Catholic school as a kid and had nuns as teachers. Well, the nuns didn't choose the subjects they were teaching. Not typically. A lot of times they were just told, oh, by the way, you teach English to sixth graders. I think that's why so many people tell stories about having horrible experiences with the nuns is because they didn't get to choose their job. They didn't have any joy in it. They were just, hey, you teach. I also have recently heard some really great stories about nun teachers, too. So hopefully I hear more of those. One of the best college professors I had was a nun named Sister Jackie at Edinburgh. She was fantastic. So my nun experiences vary. I had a very bad experience with a nun on an airplane once. So I'm rolling at about 50-50. She did not like me. Not a bit. <laughs> Anyhow. Oh. So why does God call us to these different positions? Well, it goes on to tell us in verse 12. For equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Oh my, speaking the truth in love. They're paired together. Salt and pepper, peanut butter and bananas. They go together. Truth Love. Truth without love condemns. Love without truth condones. But speaking truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We need each other. I desperately need you. We need each other. We are a community. We are Christ's church. We are parts of the same body. Some of you are very good at being hands and feet. Some of you are very good at planning. Some of us just talk more than the rest of you. But I've noticed there are some of us that are great planners, and there's some of us that see big picture. There's some of us that see finite detail. There's some of us that are called to do mission work. There are some of us that are called to support mission work. 
There are some of us that see the needs in the community around us. There are some of us that feel guilty for talking about replacing a door because we know the price of it could feed three or four children. And is the door really that bad? But we all need each other because if we don't have that, then we're not doing missions. And if we don't have that, the building falls down around us. We need everyone. We need to have those uncomfortable conversations sometimes where we do assessments about what is more important. It's really important for us to make sure that we're feeding people, that we're being the hands and feet of Christ, that we're going out in the community. What's also important is making sure that people can get into our parking lot, right? Improving our building isn't necessarily bad, even though some of us might feel guilt around it. Feeding people is great. You will never run out of poor people. Christ himself said that. The poor will always be with you. It's knowing when to act. It's being prayerfully together in community. Prayerfully. You notice I added that word. As far as I know, that is an old church ladyism that I would love to share with you. Unless you're read up and prayed up, you better shut up. I wonder why they felt the need to tell me that. <laughs> I'm on to verse 17. The new man. I brought this up in... Uh, Sunday school, a few weeks ago, and I was called out on this, and rightly so. I spoke of myself as a sinner in present tense. Not because, and that's not okay, really. Not because I still don't sin, I'm very much human, right? As, as Paul tells us in Scripture, we do the things we don't want to do. I mean, we're still a part of the sinful and dying world. It's not that I don't sin, but for me to call myself a sinner in present tense was thoughtless to do. And it isn't because I don't feel that it's necessarily true. It's because I'm not talking, I I'm, I'm, I'm feel like I may be giving people the wrong impression, like I'm saying it's okay to sin. Well, it's not okay to sin. We're all in the same leaking boat in the fact that we still do sin, but we shouldn't be passive with our sin. We shouldn't take our sins lightly. That's a term Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. When you take your sins lightly, because you know God's going to forgive you anyway. Breaking the heart of God should never be taken lightly. So for that, I would like to apologize that I put that out there. And if you didn't hear it that way, if you heard it the way I meant it, that's great too. But that was a careless thing to say because I'm aware people heard me differently. And that could be very damaging. If someone hears you making light of something that could be very grievous in their life. I would agree that I'm not responsible for what people hear. I'm responsible for what I say, unless what I say is very careless, in which case I feel that was. So I apologize for that. And I wanted to correct that from up here. Verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, 
that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. That's why I remembered that, by the way. <laughs> you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And the future in the futility of their mind, having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to the work of all uncleanness, with greediness. I don't think there's... Maybe a, a better way to describe normal secular life than lewdness, uncleanness, and greediness. These seem to be the things that we value in society. You can't get out of this church parking lot without being bombarded by lewdness. It'll be in your eyeline. And that's not to badmouth anybody. But I'm always overwhelmed when I turn on the radio and I, I it's noise in the car, right? Songs that would have never been on the radio when I was a kid, even. If your song had cursing in it, it just didn't go on the radio. Now they just bleep out the word and they keep playing the song. It's not like the eight-year-olds don't know what word is going there. They know well just they know just as well as you do. Have you ever considered the content of the songs? Bubblegum pop used to be all about puppy love and feelings. It still sounds the same, but the words are awful. I'm not saying don't listen to the radio. I'm just saying you can't go anywhere without being bombarded by societal norms and lewdness, uncleanness, and greediness. Greediness is everywhere. Regardless of your political leanings or your view of the market even, greediness is what is at the top of everyone's brain. Either people want things to be given to them or they want to make more money or they're willing to be cutthroat and earn the money or whatever. It becomes very ridiculous. And if it wasn't so horrible, it would be funny. It's gotten to such proportions where all of this would be funny if it wasn't so disturbing. It's becoming a caricature of what I used to consider to be normal American life which would be roughly the same as normal Canadian life. We just happen to be Americans. Okay, so moving past that, like I said, that's our societal norms. Lewdness, uncleanness, greediness. That is our societal norms. That's every society's norms. That is the human condition. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness 
and holiness. So we're to walk new. And as again, Sunday school has a tendency to just always dovetail with what we're going to be doing in church. It's amazing because we don't plan that. It's just God. We have a, a large tendency to look at where we've come from without looking at where we are and where God is taking us. Especially those of us who are still blown away that God forgave us and brought us and allowed us to be here. Sometimes we forget what God is doing now and what God is still doing and is going to do. And we can kind of chain ourselves to the testimony back here without thinking about what's ahead of us. I was very thankful to hear that message this morning, honestly, because that was every bit as much for me as anybody else who heard it, I'm sure. Sometimes we tie ourselves to what we did, what God saved us from, and we forget that God is doing and God is going to do. And God doesn't even remember this anymore. He told us he doesn't. So give glory to God for what's back here, but I'm looking in the wrong direction all the time. And I'm not the only one. Verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. That's a tough one, isn't it? You're allowed to be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who is in need. Not only stop stealing, earn a living and be charitable. If that isn't the opposite of greediness and stealing, what motivates theft? Unless it's severe hunger, I'll give that loophole. What motivates theft is greediness. Instead of stealing, make an honest living with your hands and help people that are less fortunate than you. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I am in a constant battle to be less sarcastic. It depends on the day, how I'm doing with that. I'm being, I'm being very careful to be less sarcastic in the things that matter most. Maybe that's a better way to say it. I still work with 12-year-olds. It's a defense mechanism. It really is. <laughs> Have you ever noticed, and I'm going to offend somebody very close to me, but I'm going to take the risk. Have you ever noticed, though, that 11 and 12-year-olds are absolutely equal parts toddler and adult with absolutely nothing in the middle? Okay. 
How you doing, babe? <laughs> but it's amazing because one second you're talking to an adult and the next second they have forgotten what they're doing and they're just making noise and dancing. It, it's, it is an interesting stage for certain. But like I said, sarcasm becomes kind of a defense mechanism, but in the things that matter. And what I should be doing is edifying, building people up, imparting grace, teaching. Almost all of these things that I consider to be irritating moments are teachable moments. If I'm not too angry to react appropriately, they're teachable moments. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. <laughs> and be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. How are we doing? Have you ever been talking to someone and you're telling a story from years ago and before the story's over, you're like all amped up and you realize that you're still angry at someone in fifth grade and you didn't even know it? Being a human being is a fascinating thing. It's not like forgiveness is one of those things. Be like, oh, I've forgiven everyone. Well, maybe in an overarching thing you have, but we're always dealing with bitterness and, and unforgiveness. These are things that we constantly have to be letting go of. And it's actually a very lightening thing to realize that you're holding a grudge and to let it go and to, to offer that forgiveness. It's an amazingly liberating thing. Forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. Have you ever thought that Christ died to forgive you? That's dedication for forgiveness, isn't it? We have no business not forgiving one another. That doesn't mean giving each other a pass for sinful behavior or for not and, and just not saying when something's a problem. We should definitely be doing those things. But to not forgive one another is unacceptable. There is nothing about me that deserves to withhold forgiveness from any one of you. I have not earned the right to withhold forgiveness from any of you, regardless of whatever you may have done. If I am to forgive as Christ forgave, would I give my life to forgive you? And maybe I'm taking that to a strange place, but I don't feel that's false. I have to put down all of my pride in order to forgive things, especially when someone does wrong to you. Trust me. I'm not immune to that. People have wronged me in big ways sometimes that affect me for years, that still affect me. 
I don't have the right to withhold forgiveness. I don't have to say it was okay. It's not okay. But I don't have the right to withhold forgiveness. I forgive. I recognize. I can recognize the sinfulness of a situation. Recognize the sinfulness of the person involved. And I can still be broken for their lostness. And I can offer them forgiveness. But at no point does that mean that I should pretend that that's necessarily a safe person to be around. And I realize it sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. But if someone hurt me as a child, I can offer them forgiveness. But at no point will I allow them to babysit my child, if that makes sense. That doesn't mean I didn't forgive them. That doesn't mean I didn't forgive them. I forgive them completely, and God loves them. And I hope to spend eternity with them in heaven, glorifying the Father, as he deserves to be glorified by all sinners and all saints. So as we're preparing to take communion together, I would urge you to take this privilege very seriously. Don't take lightly the fact that we're joining together in Christ's body and his blood. If you have unforgiveness towards one another, let it go. Right now, this very instant, just let it go. We don't have the right. Jesus paid it all. We don't have the right. If you have unconfessed sins before God, now would be a great time to confess them before God. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell everyone. God knows. I'm not going to insist that you be a member of the church to take communion. What I would highly and strongly suggest is that you have turned towards Christ and not in a small way. That you would be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. Someone who can honestly say that he is Lord of my life. You're actually making a very public confession if you take communion that you have faith in the Godhead. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are actually making a very public confession that you are partaking in the death of Jesus Christ. It's an actual action that is confessing all of these things, that you believe in the power of Jesus to save you. All of these are implicit in taking communion. If you do not affirm those things, I would ask you just to let the elements pass you by when we pass them out. Okay, I will not glare at you or turn my nose up at you or anything like that. But what you're doing is you're making a very public confession through action that you are, in fact, affirming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that this is his body, this is his blood, this is his body that was broken for you, this is his blood that was shed for you.
The Lord's Supper is not for perfect people because only one of those existed. It's for redeemed sinners. Followers of Christ who have been forgiven. It's a sign and sacrament that we are seeking to be sanctified, to be more holy and more Christ-like people. In Mark 4.22, he institutes the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. And part of my sermon to today. I brought up that I am forgiven and I was required as part of that to turn from my sins, which were many. And God has put me in positions where he is using me. That is what God is doing in my life. And hopefully God is helping me to help you see him in some way. Because I have this awesome opportunity that you've given me where many of you spend 12 to 14 hours toiling and laboring. You've awarded me this extra time where you're trusting me to seek through scriptures and deliver some of it to you. That's part of my job. That's not the whole thing. You're still responsible for your own faith, but it's this amazing privilege that I get to be a part of. And for that, I thank you, and I hope that I'm able to do well at it. I was also told in many places, people used to do testimonies before they would do communion. Would anyone care to share what God has done in their life before we take communion together? Some of you look really panicked right now. <laughs> I'm thankful for the privilege that we have that we can share the body that Christ gave and the blood that he shed. That we no longer have to bear the guilt and shame of sin, but to bring it before him, confessing and walking his ways. And sometimes that walking in his ways is the hardest part because of what you spoke about, how we're bombarded with things in this world. Though we are in this world, we are to not be of this world. Sometimes it seems like there's a fine line that separates that for us. And the only way to stay on the right side of that fine line for me is to tune out what's going on out there, and to stay in the Word. And I've really looked forward and for a long time to be able to participate in this sacrament 
because it means a great deal to me to know that this is what Jesus did for me that I have a way to the Father. So I just want to give him praise and glory for that and for the cleansing that he gives us. And I can truly say that I am not aware of any unconfessed sin in my life and that I come with clean heart and clean hands today. Thank you. Would anyone else care to share before we take communion together? I know I share a lot about who I was without ever giving much detail. It's hard sometimes to get a handle on who God has called me to be and who God calls me. And the realization that I am redeemed and the realization that I'm called and I have things that I am to do and to be put into ministry is an incredible privilege. And I give thanks to God for that. Would anyone else care to give testimony? All right, then. If I could have uh, Chad and Albert join me up front, we'll go ahead and pass out some elements to you.
And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Father God, we thank you again for this element, for the blood that you shed for the forgiveness of our sin, that you paid the price for our sin. Again, we thank you and we trust you. Amen. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many.
So that will actually be all I have for you today. But that isn't all God has for you today. I am constantly reminded of what a blessing that everyone in this church is to me. And I really hope that we're a blessing to one another as well. That we can be in community and communion with one another under Christ. That brings us to our time of announcements, prayer, and sharing. But I'll go ahead and pray again because I like to and because I get to. Father God, I praise you and I thank you. I thank you that you listen to our words when we pray. Father God, I thank you that you call us beloved, that you're calling us to so much more than anything we've ever thought or imagined. Lord, as we go throughout our day, I pray that you would help us to be lights. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fron, come forward. We are going to do a time of announcements, prayer, and sharing.